0: Hi and welcome to Arrow Bandwidth. This week we're at the Arrow Technology Summit. This is Arrow's annual Partner Forum held in Denver. Over the next few weeks we're going to be presenting you all the power debate sessions that occurred at ATS. You're going to hear from our practice leaders talking about security, IoT, data intelligence, cloud and next generation platforms. We hope you enjoy this Arrow Bandwidth production and please subscribe. Moving swiftly on to store. Now, the store, you know, it's, it's been there forever. Um, it's essentially how we, where we reside the data. But it, I think more than ever with things like GDPR, obviously the European legislation around data privacy, um, but then all of the sort of verticalized um, data security requirements of varying different industries in North America, I think store is something that people probably overlook because they're very proud that they've got the data in. They're even prouder they've transformed it into some amazing information, then put it in a database and kind of forget about it. So, sort of where where do you give what advice would you give to a company to how to store their data in a meaningful, compliant way?
1: Yeah, so like let's talk about that, right? I mean the beauty for everybody in this room is I want to be really clear. There's high strategic elements like AI, there's high strategic elements like IoT. Every one of these projects that we're talking about, first of all, is an analytics project. There's a lot of money being spent there. So you can monetize that quickly. By the way, every analytics project is a data enrichment project. And there's even more money being spent there. At ingestion, how do I enrich? And every enrichment project is actually a storage project. <laughs> because at the end of the day, whether we call it storage less, serverless, whatever we call, there are servers and there is storage. Your customers just may not own it, but the reality is it's there. And when I talk to clients, it, it's it's kind of gotten really interesting because you know we tend to chase all these features, right? I need that, I need this, I need dedupe, I need compression, I need this rate. But at the end of the day, I ask them one like, what's the resiliency level of the data? How important is it that this data remains intact? It really comes down RPO, RTO. Good. You're going to choose your provider on the basis of the resilient profile that you need for your data. <coughs> But here's where the real interesting opportunity is. It's not backup and it's not DR, because we solved that in Y2K because we were all scared to death it was gonna kill
2: us.
1: (laughs) By the way, nobody's really updated it since Y2K. But um, where the looming opportunity is in what I'll call copy data management. So as we talk about everything we did today, you know what's happening? The request for IT to clone a data set is up 10 to 50 times what it was a few years ago. More and more business executives are asking for copies of data that is sitting somewhere in the data center, somewhere on the cloud, so that they can go and build their next project. The problem is I make the copies and then I never track where they go. I don't actually know where that data is. And when I start to think about how do I automate that process, I don't want IT getting sucked in making copies, because that takes a lot of people. I need to track the copies and know where they are. So if I actually have to recall one, I know exactly where it is. And number three, I have to always track the data profile of what has been copied. Because if at any point the governance laws change, I need to know that that copy is out there and fits that profile. That copy data management area is an enormous opportunity. And I think it really takes us to this concept of where is storage. Still critical, still growing faster than it ever did. I think the storage market last year grew about 17% after everybody said uh, 100% of the data center was moving to the cloud. <laughs> but the opportunity now is, not only how do I protect that data, but how do I automate the copies of that data so I can feed it, so I can start to move it to AI models, I can start to move it to data integration, et cetera.
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll take a different angle on that, that compliment. So you had talked about some of the governance, but the actual... Infrastructure architecture that you'll be advising clients on, or where clients want to go. I think one of the biggest ones is object store. So it's a different method of of storage. Started in the cloud, now you see it on um, on private uh, or behind the firewall. The reason is it's an opportunity. It's got way better. Uh, Uh, life dynamics if the data needs to live forever that's where it'll live I also think by the way in the coming years you're gonna see tape make a huge resurgence new types of tape technologies coming to market the bottom line is there's all kinds of storage there is object store you've got your traditional store there's SSD there's tape and those types of things and they're all fronted in maybe it's a do maybe it's here what I see a lot of clients doing is wanting to bypass database layers and going direct to object store They'll want to take a SQL API and query it. So if you've seen, the IBM has a service for that. uh, Amazon Athena, if you've heard of that. And the reason is, if you think about it, I just come in there and I start asking these questions. And the performance is going to go down on Object Store than it would in a database. But I'm okay with that because I'm exploring. And I think what I'm getting at here is Object Store is a hot technology that I'm not sure if everyone's aware of. You should be aware of that. And then when you go to advise your clients, I think you want to advise them on performance tiers. I think you really need to have this gold, silver, bronze, or platinum level performance tiers. And when you make a copy, you don't make a copy so someone kind of spins off some little piece of it unless they have to, but you make a copy because it's a high performance tier. Because right now, putting something in an in-memory columnar like a, a DB2 Blue or an SAP HANA warehouse is always going to run faster than any alternatives right now. right? It's, and when you go and you offload out of a, out of a warehouse to SQL because you're trying to save on some spinning cycles and costs, it's always going to perform not as quickly as it's going to in a database. And when you go to object store, it's not going to perform as quick. So I think the storage strategy should be, one, is it's, it's this diverse, ubiquitous market. There's all types of storage technologies. You will virtualize over that so lines of business and developers can access them without really giving anything about any care to where they are. And that's where the whole governance thing comes back. As a business user, I don't care whether that table is sitting in Teradata, or in a teaser, or Oracle, or whether it just got rolled off into cold archive on Hadoop. I shouldn't care. I just look at the business object with the metadata tagging and go after it. So performance tier and the metadata on top of that abstracts where it lives. You shouldn't care where the storage lives outside of the architecture. Absolutely. And I
0: really couldn't agree more with you about tape. I think tape is going to be a really big technology, especially as we can start to read and write it faster. And the tapes, I don't know where we're up to now with the latest LTO, but it's just
2: crackers. So. I was giving you a big wink on some announcements coming from IBM, by the way, when I brought up tape, go. but uh, yeah, it's hot. It's hot. Shame, shameless plug, <laughs>
0: but that's what we're here for. So continue on that sort of vein of, of where to store the data. Obviously, I think one of the other confusing points in, in the store bit of, of the strategy is what you sh- or how you should advise or at what point certain... Technologies are appropriate, you know. So we've got data lakes, object stores, NoSQL, SQL, enterprise data warehouses, data marts. Yeah, I suppose there's one easy question. There's one easy answer to this, which is just don't worry about it because actually it'll fall out in the mix. But what would be your advice as to organisations and, and where they should look, and ha- at what point is what technology appropriate to them?
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's. If I think about where this all ends up. Let me sort of give you the aspirational vision and we'll talk about today. Remember that as I move to AI and I move to immediate actions that actually drive, the the faster I can take the action on a particular piece of data, whether it's increased revenue, lower cost, lower risk, the faster I can take the action, potentially the higher benefit. So what I want to do is I actually have to move a lot of this intelligence to the edge. And what I can start to do is I can start to take, not just my smart machines, but let's just take the gateway within a factory, the gateway within a hospital. And I can actually have all the data from that particular site feeding into that gateway. Well, now I have a whole different storage topology. Now I'm actually gonna be looking at the bits and saying, okay, temperature's 60, 60, 60, 60. I can throw away all the other 60s. I'm only gonna actually select and store when it changes. But in addition to that, I can actually analyze the data at the edge. I can take the automation at the edge, never leaving that particular gateway. Now after a certain amount of data has been collected, I'm probably going to throw it back to the core, because now I'm going to look at what's happening holistically across all my sites, all my hospitals, all my areas. And then once again, after I've taken the actions at that level, then I'm going to probably throw it back to the cloud. I'm going to store a copy of the data in the cloud. To Paul's point, at the edge, I need it really, really fast. At the core, I probably need it maybe a little bit slower because I'm taking an action that is more of an aggregation of data. And then what's sitting in the cloud, I'm gonna go explore. I wanna now look for trends that I may not have seen before. I wanna better learn and train my systems. So think about what that means in terms of the opportunity today to look at new architectures that sit at the edge, yep. right? These micro clouds I talked about earlier Think about what the core is gonna look like in terms of the aggregation of all of this data that's happening at sites, and then think about now what happens with the cloud. And I'll point you to the Andreessen paper from probably 18 months ago. Andreessen Horowitz wrote a paper that said the death of the cloud. Now, it's not nearly that dire, so please don't worry about Jeff Bezos, he'll be okay. But (laughs) what it basically talks about is the fact that we thought everything would move to the public cloud, but the reality is as we actually get closer to analytics and AI, the, the the systems will have to be, the latency and the bandwidth is not there in the near future. We have to move it closer to the edge. And the edge by definition will be in the facility, in the site. Might be managed, but a very different architecture than the current public cloud.
2: Yeah, in other words, we don't want to bring the data to the analytics. We want to push the analytics down to the data. We we'll call that data gravity. Um, since you talked about kind of the outside and the edge, I'll talk about the core and the infrastructure. Listen there is uh, we call like there are so many choices right now. I think the one thing I would run away from is is any v- technology vendor who's trying to convince you that one technology rules them all. Yep. And we heard that. We heard that during the Hadoop wars for sure, right? Hadoop was going to everything. And what is Hadoop? I mean, I wrote the book Hadoop for dummies and I'll tell you, I don't know if I would put Hadoop into an infrastructure brand new from now. I might be looking at object store Spark over object store directly right? Wow. And then, but then there's examples where Hadoop works great, right? So I think you've got to be open and understand that there's multiple technologies. The biggest mistake you can make is to think we're going to throw all this away and we're just going to go at that one. Any vendor who's selling that is not consulting, they're just trying to sell some skew. Now, and by the way, if that's an IBM seller, then say that to the IBM seller. Don't start doing that kind of stuff, right? So you should have a good understanding of what that landscape of polyglot is, and then look at the genre of technology for what you're trying to do. You're trying to store data that's going to feed your neural network. So you're going to have to have a very flat economies of scale in terms of storage, right? At one point, Hadoop was the new tape. What's the speed to go and feed the neural network to train it? That's your AI side. But you've got a digital transformation strategy. That's going to be fronted in a NoSQL genre like the document database, like MongoDB or Cloudant. Right? You're probably going to be looking at, how do I work web lookups and catalogs? That's a key value store, uh, like Redis in memory and those. And the new emerging place. Which uh, I actually don't have. I'm just starting to get experiences around graph databases, which I think are the next big, big thing. They're the fastest growing market in NoSQL. So there's a, and there's the traditional stuff, you know. So I just rhymed off five or six types of kind of compute storage technologies, like how you
1: interface with that stuff. Get to understand them, and then you can consult the right way on them. Yeah, d- just David, just let me add one thing. Yeah, so, please do. So when we talked about the industry verticals, let me bring back one point. Paul just just touched on the complexity of this this new world, right? We were all used to kind of three-tier architectures, web application, right. database. It, it, it's infinitely complex. I've structured, unstructured, streaming, I've technologies for each, and then I've got this whole edge to cloud that I've got to manage. Here's my advice to you, though. What your clients are looking for is not pet projects. They're looking for use cases that actually show value in a short period of time, and ideally that someone else has already implemented. So when you start to think about the cores, the architectures that you're gonna build, the architectures that you're gonna stamp out, think about focusing on the ones and investing in those that are repeatable and deliver value today.
0: Wow, mini clap, thank, thank you, you very much.
1: <laughs> I, know, I never that's know, the sometimes stuff, they have happened. AirPods in and they're listening to like a sports game <laughs> yeah. or something. Was that for us? Oh, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Uh, so, so just think about the fact that you're essentially stamping out architectures and they're gonna be slightly different But if you build one for an energy company, there's another energy company right around the corner that has the exact same issue. I'll just give you one very high level example that's just today. So we work with a lot of stock exchanges. And I can tell you in the stock exchange business, it's trading fees, that's how they make their money. They essentially pass paper through and it's it's an interesting business. They make a lot of money moving paper between themselves. But at the end of the day, um, there is a looming business for them, which is they spend a ton of money on analyst data. Analysts who look at the trends of the market and the ratings of the stocks, but what they've now started to say is they actually have their own interpretations of where the market's going based on the analytics of what's happening in their market. But if they can anonymize and aggregate that data, they actually can give better predictions as to where things are going than the own data they buy today. So when they came to us with that particular scenario, we solved it for one stock exchange. Immediately, the other 30 stock exchanges around the world are like, we're we're trying to do the same thing. By the way, we're going to buy it from ourselves, and we're actually going to be spending less money on the stuff, the research we buy today. So you think about this it, example of a use case, highly repeatable, probably 15% that had to be modified, but you built it once, and you rolled the same blueprint and the same architecture across the industry.
0: Fantastic. So moving swiftly on, let's move on to exploration. So exploring the data or, or sort of giving, putting the data into another place, so be it, actually a visualization tool or or an API to sort of expose it elsewhere. Um, I think if we think about the sort of the visualization tooling and and that sort of broad range of of, of bits of technology that exist today, they're all trying to essentially democratize um, access to the data and and be able to open up um, that particular, all that hard work we've done to this point to the widest possible group of individuals, the the largest possible cohort. But what is needed, what what, what organizations, what should they be looking for to actually figure out what a good tool is to go and actually get the best value out of all the hard work they've done to this point?
2: Well, I think uh, it goes back to what I talked about, how do we democratize access so everyone can start to analyze that data. I, I think some of the problem I have with, and they're all changing, so that's good. Some of the problem I have with the traditional kind of power end user tool is that that user has their own intuitions about that data and their bias and so they lead bias into the discovery with the data sets they pull in that's the number one problem if I have a power Cognos a power Tableau user or uh, some of the Microsoft BI anything like that Mm. they're so powerful but their bias comes through I think you're seeing all those vendors starting to get AI in there at the front and that's where I think you'll find some pattern detection whether it be classifications or clustering, to allow people to go and investigate. So that's an emerging space that I think you should be keeping the pulse of the finger on. And the reason is, as each vendor, and they're probably leapfrogging each other, but as they come forward in that area, you'll be able to bring that to your clients. And the message will be more people can participate in this analytics uh, renaissance, if you will. That's the biggest problem. There's not enough participants in the analytics renaissance. So any tool that allows that to happen, I think, is critical.
1: Yeah. I I would just add one thing to it. I'll take a different tack if we're not careful we actually will end up in a world where our data is siloed in a way that will drive tremendous complexity today we're actually seeing proprietary data sets being built in proprietary clouds on proprietary platforms and it puts the client in a very difficult spot because they they then have to lock into that cloud if they want to have a centralized data strategy I do think there's a huge opportunity, and I know a lot of you are are key partners uh, out there in the audience. I think there is a huge looming opportunity to say, look, the application should be built in the cloud. They live incredibly well there. But how do I actually become a data provider? And the reason I think this is so huge for you is what you do is you keep the data in a native format. And regardless of what application or what cloud is accessing it, it actually doesn't become it doesn't, it doesn't kind of go into its own silo, it doesn't get written to a particular format, it doesn't get compressed, it doesn't get kind of hidden depending on where the app is. The other inherent benefit is, as your applications are built, these data providers will be able to do um, arbitrage on the cost of the lines between the public clouds and themselves. They'll be able to do much more efficiency than an individual client. So just think about this, where I'm going with it is, okay, you give me flexibility, My data is now accessible. Easy for me to run compliance, to run uh, discovery across my entire data set with less complexity. But now you also have the ability to look at all the additional services you can add on as a provider to all the data that's getting generated. And the more the cloud gets adopted, it actually is all coming back to you. So these are the sort of things I think about. But ultimately, to the point on exploring, it's how do I keep the proprietary formats out of my model? So that my data is very, very flexible, very agile, and easy to be explored, rather than having to be transformed 16 or, or 60 times before it can be touched.
2: And I think the other thing I'll add just is you should be thinking about how do we decorate that data? So using open data sets, right? So uh, whether that's weather data, garbage collection, uh, policing in a city, you know, crime data, that stuff's all public. Like if you look at city San Francisco, city of Toronto where we live, right? There's an enormous amount of data all fronted with an API. I think that's the other <clears throat> next level generation, is how do I take that data and mix it with the data I have and put that on the glass with the analysts, and that will kind of add the aperture, if you will, to it. So those yeah. are kind of two or three things to think about in that
0: area. I must admit as well, I think uh, a lot of people jump straight from nothing to, or from Excel primarily, to a Tableau or a Click. And actually, I think there's there's a lot of innovation going on in this space. I mean, literally, whilst I've been here today, I got in- well, yesterday, I got introduced to a vendor, that's essentially built a chat interface into a database. So you can natural language talk to your database to get queries back. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a simple way of basically democratizing it so that anyone can run queries against a database without having to understand how to drag items onto a canvas to create a particular visualization. So I think there's a lot of a lot of opportunity there, but I'd say just find what works for you. Don't feel pushed into these complex tools and these as you say, the power Cognos, Power BI type users, you know, it doesn't have to be there. So, that brings us to the end of, the, of our strategy. But, because we're much cooler than all the other practices going, <laughs> we have a quick fire round. So I'm gonna ask the guys, um, <laughs> it was in the briefing notes, so yeah. it's not too much of yeah. a surprise. It's never in the briefing. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so I'm gonna ask you um, a series of questions, and I want your immediate answer on what you what your response is to these so the first one is what's the most interesting trend for 2018 Sean?
2: So for me, it's still security
0: first security
2: most Fantastic Paul I'm gonna say blockchain Blockchain. nothing to do with cryptocurrency think of it that way I will say what the internet did for search, blockchain will do as a trust protocol, and you best get started now on it, because when it lands in two or three years and becomes a ubiquitous trust agent, you'll be either behind the time or you'll be ahead of it. It will put companies out of work and out of business. Um, yep. Again, don't even think about cryptocurrency when I talk about that. Think about trust. Yeah. So that's it, trust. So I uh, should sell my Bitcoin? What's that? I should <laughs> you sell say oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, you probably made good money on it, but... <laughs>
0: So the next is what is the biggest false horizon in data intelligence? What's the, what's the technology or the trend that people are following that you don't think will last or actually is a bit of a, a false horizon?
1: I, I think people thinking that uh, they need sensors in order to have IoT and they need to equip every machine to be a smart machine to have IoT. I would actually push clients to say, you have such a richness of data today. The fact that you are not analyzing and leveraging that data, you are losing value daily. Do not wait for the maturity of the gateway strategy and what sensors am I going to put in? When's my machine vendor? We'll get there. There is an unbelievable opportunity today to actually drive real value, revenue creation, cost reduction, risk reduction with the data that you hold. Harness it. Become good at it and then you can go and collect additional data. But I think there's a false horizon that people are waiting for IoT before doing analytics, and, and that is c- just completely false. Yeah,
2: because you're just going to do analytics on the IoT data, That's so really you don't have that acumen down. Uh, listen, I'm not going to tell you a technology that I think is a fad, because I think technology years are like dog years, right, they expire <laughs> very quickly. Um, I'll tell you what is a false sense out there, um, security. So you said security was the most important thing, security. Security because of uh, everything connected IoT world. So my toothbrush is connected to the internet. The Nest is connected to the internet. Your car is connected to the internet. These are all attack points. And I'm not sure the last time someone sent you a, uh, a fix for your uh, your connected toothbrush or your car. How do you how do you fix a car today? You have to drive in, and the uh, mechanics take it for an hour and they update the firmware. Meanwhile, you have a connected car at any point that can get attacked, right? Or maybe you go and download a piece of firmware into an SD card stick into your car. So I think. Uh, Security, feeling that everything's secure. We're all connected, no one's thinking about that. That, to me, is the biggest lingering farce of uh, 2018. I think it's a really, a really good point. So I, I'm, I'm going to chip in on this and be really
0: contentious and say, my biggest false horizon is AI. Because I was going to say that. I actually think AI exists yeah. at the moment. AI is a catch-all term, very much like cloud is now, for machine learning, deep learning, you know, all of those subcategories. But when people, and I think it's been very coined by the media, by the press, um, you know, AI, AI, AI. Um, so, so interestingly, uh, each year I write some, some trends, and I rebadged AI from artificial intelligence to augmented intelligence, sure. which I think is a much more easy term to get on the mic. But yeah, for me, false horizon. Yeah, I
2: wouldn't say. See, last year I had an argument with the IoT guy, didn't I? On the, on so, the I here, so I wasn't here, but I have heard. I have heard about. Have yeah, it. the uh, no, but uh, no, I think actually you're right. If if not, maybe define it. It's uh, it, it's overhyped. I would yep. say that's the biggest thing. I think that we're saying the same yeah. thing. It's Absolutely, not at artificial yeah. yet, but yeah, AI is the most overhyped thing, but it's the most important thing to get your hands around because the people that are actually doing it are changing the game. Yeah, just now everyone's pretending to do it. That's the biggest problem. Very much so. So
0: where will um what will companies see short term the best short-term games from data if you if you owned companies what would you be looking to do first
2: take all the data you have you already have the data you kind of hit on it earlier we call it supervised learning i'm going to show it in my session a piece of it you have the data you are the opportunity to be the disruptor of tomorrow Yesterday's disruptor was the Fang stocks and all the folks that you hear about, and the Ubers and the and those folks. It's actually the people with the data that will rule the world. It's 80% of the data isn't Googleable. It's sitting in your hands. You know that these 10,000 cases you adjudicated were under $2,000 front-end damage, and you guys know this person's not going to pay their credit on time. You're just sitting on that data, doing nothing with it. Feed that into the neural network. That's getting on base in AI. That's real
1: cool. Yeah, I I would tell you. When you're thinking about this opportunity for your respective businesses, <clears throat> think about cost and risk above revenue. I will tell you the business cases, the use cases that we're seeing deployed today with the most success are those that are driving cost reduction and risk reduction. Increased buying, uh, you know, increase put this in your cart, I can sell you something new, I can open up a new thread. Those are interesting and I think they're evolving. But I would tell you today when you look at a company dynamics, it's pretty simple. Margin is profit, excuse me, is price minus cost. And when you look at price minus cost, there's only two levers. I got to sell more stuff, or I got to bring down the cost of, of goods sold to actually increase my margin. At the end of the day, the cost, we've, people have brought down the cost of infrastructure and even maybe the cost of OPEX um, associated with running the infrastructure, but there's still a lot of people doing manual stuff. We talked about it earlier, but... If I just bring it down to a very basic level, look at the way a shop floor or data center runs. There are humans taking actions based on alerts that could easily be automated. That is low-hanging fruit. Can you connect the dots and take the action faster? Can you predict when it's going to happen and be there so there's no lag? And more essentially, can I prevent it from ever happening in the first place? That's all possible with the power of analytics and data ingestion today. It's cost reduction, it's risk reduction. And then that gets people comfortable with their data state. Now they can go off and say, awesome, now could we actually build a better profile of our customer? Could we look to omnichannel and um, you know, sell them more stuff, sell them more lines of business?
2: Yeah, I'd walk into each of the CIO or the, the power sponsor at, uh, uh, with all your clients and I'd say, listen, we have two projects we're going to work on and we'll populate them. Spend money to save money and spend money to make money. Mm-hmm. And then that's what I would do. As I do it every time, every client I talk to, let's talk to you about your spend money to save money opportunities. Some people have been talked into spend money to save money just by removing this or removing that, but you were talking about, you know, efficiencies. 100% agree with that. Then you take the money from there and you invest in spend money to make money. Have that conversation with your clients. It resonates. It hunts. Uh, yeah, it
1: reminds me of the banks, right? Every bank has the same strategy. Strategy one, fix the bank. Strategy two, grow the bank. It's the same strategy, just about every organization. Fix it, grow it. When you frame around that, you relate to the business, and then when the business says, this is great, we're going to do it, then they go to IT and say, go figure out a way to do it. We tend to sell backwards. We sell to IT, and then IT brings it to the business and architecture, and the business goes, what am I going to do with that? You, you brought me a solution to a problem I don't have, or something that's not funded. So absolutely, Paul, completely agree.
0: So what would be your closing
2: words of advice to our gathered uh, channel partners here today? Um, I'll give you one. Uh, I'd say like not everyone in this room is an AI expert, I'm going to assume, right? It's new for many of us, right? I kind of started down that journey a year ago. And I would say invest in the power of what I call the power of 1%. So here's the deal. I started this year off with a New Year's resolution to lose 10 pounds. And what are we at? Like September? I have 13 to go. So it's not, it's not going very good. I said to my wife, I said, uh, you know, I can't lose any weight uh, traveling all the time. It's like death by a thousand cuts. And she's like, you know, death by a thousand cuts has a reciprocal. And you think about the productivity of marginal gains. And if you were to invest 1% every day, if you wanted to lose 10 pounds in a year, this is how easy it is. It sounds hard, this is how easy it is. Take a quarter of an Aero chocolate bar, one square. It's 40 calories. And then every day, add 1%. That's a sliver more onto that for 90 days. And then do nothing different for a year. You'll lose 10 pounds. That's your analytics acumen. That's your AI acumen. So many people are so new to this. Um, in my next session, I'll show you some models that I started building. I, just, you know, I don't have a computer degree. I just learned how to do it. I just started learning it. Maybe a year now, I've been in it. You can get there, invest 1%, because when you do that, You'll go guide your customer. And if you've ever read a book, has anyone ever read a book called The Challenger Sale? Mm-hmm. All right? It must read, right? It's the absolute winner every single time on the five types of sellers you'll run into. That's the biggest recommend I'd give for you. Go read The Challenger
1: Sale and then use 1% to be a challenger. I would tell you guys, I'll bring back the point from earlier and as a point to leave with, which is... You know, when I think about Arrow's business, I think about the concept of essentially aggregating the best of what's in this room into repeatable solutions that can be sold at scale. This is critically important. This is no longer like a piece of backup software with a piece of storage with some servers. This is a smart factory solution. This is a smart hospital. This is a smart city. Right? This is smart transportation. This is going to require, there is nobody that's going to be able to vertically integrate, and if they do, they'll lose to deliver these solutions end to end. The partnerships you build, not just with Arrow as the aggregator, but among yourselves, to be able to architect, build, support, manage these environments, will be crucial. And some of you will be crucial on the IT side, and some of you will be crucial on the OT side. But remember that it's IT and OT that will actually take us to IoT.
0: I like it. So I'm gonna finish with my own personal takeaway, which is don't be afraid, okay? I hope you can see from today, we've got a plan, we've got the practice, we've got um, you know proven execution and ability to actually take and support our partners in data intelligence opportunities in their end customers. So don't be afraid, please come talk to us, come work with us, involve us early, and we can genuinely help you to go in and help to make your customers data-driven decision-makers and not just sit there, as Paul said, on that mountain of valuable data and not do anything with it. And on that note, I'd like to thank you all for being here. I'd like to thank Paul and Sean for coming on. And, uh, yeah, have a great rest of your conference. Thank you very much. Thanks, Chris. Thank you for listening to Arrow bandwidth. I We really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please subscribe and please check out our other fantastic podcasts in the bandwidth Network. See you again next week.